and welcome to Headline Central, the weekly news-based podcast by CM Life. I am your host, Charles Skipworth, and I am here to discuss weekly topics based on the newspaper of CM Life. And today I am here with two guests to discuss today's topics. I'm Sydney Smith. I'm the managing editor at CM Life. And I am Jordan Hermony, and I am a news editor here at CM Life. It's a pleasure to meet the both of you. How are you two today? Doing, doing good. Early? <laughs> it is early, but it is. But we're here to discuss the topics. News never sleeps. <laughs> yep. Good point. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing uh, Gentle Thursday and its new positioning on the academic calendar and the Ranzenberger investigation. We will start with Gentle Thursday. And uh, how did Gentle Thursday and Friday originate here at Central Michigan? Um. Well, from my understanding, it started back in like the sixties and seventies. It's been around for a while. And um, it originated because students, you know, with you know the student government on campus, they were kind of like protesting, like, "Hey, we have, you know, school all the time. We don't have any time to sort of just like sit down and study. We would appreciate two days off, you know, at the end of the year." And it kind of came about because students were already sort of skipping those two days, anyways. Um, so administration just kind of was like, "Well." I mean, if it's like what the students want and this is, you know, a problem that we see where students don't come to class anyways, it shouldn't be that big of a problem to give them these two days off. Okay. And do you think it was used the way it was used to when it was there? And do you think it will still be used for the same purpose it was meant to now? Well, I think whenever you have, you know, an extended break, you're always going to have your students who are going to use that to study. And you're also going to have your students who are going to use that to you know, just sort of goof around. I mean, you really can't gauge how successful something is by the action of, you know, a few people. So I feel as though there are, yes, there are people who do or did use Gentle Thursday and Friday for studying or, you know, if you lived in the dorms for moving out, using those two days to help expedite your pack out process. Um, But, you know, there are also the people who didn't use it. So. All right. Um, President Ross said that he believes that you should study three hours per every credit hour you have a semester. Do you think students actually study as often as he thinks they should? Um, I'm going to give that a hard no. <laughs> that, that's the hard no. Um, just in between, me personally, I'm taking 15 credit hours. I work a full-time job. And then on top of that, I'm still expected to, you know, study. If I am to study, you know, that three hours a day for every credit hour I'm taking... I mean, I would never sleep. I would have, you know, bags that would make Prada look miserable. So, like, under my eyes. (laughs) And, I mean, it's just, it's not realistic, just to say that. Um, Yes, should should students be studying? Yes. But that stringent of a schedule, I mean, I don't know when you find time to do anything else then. How have students used this extra break from Gentle Thursday in the past before it was moved? Um... I mean, kind of like I said, it depends on, you know, I suppose where you are on campus. I know as a freshman, um, I used it for studying, but I also used it to sort of get a jump start on moving out of my uh, residence hall. I, uh, my parents both work full-time jobs, so they didn't have time to take off during the week to come help me, you know, pack. So those days sort of helped me to put everything in the boxes that I need and sort of like stack everything by the door so that way when my parents could come, it was already all set aside. We didn't need to waste time. Um, and again, people use it for studying, but people also use it to sort of like relax and de-stress from, you know, strict regimental studying prior to finals week, 
in which you're kind of coming to the realization like, oh my God, I have 400 pages to memorize by Tuesday. So. Do you think students will use the extra break from this upcoming Gentle Thursday? Um, I think, I liked a column that one of our other news editors, Kate Carlson, wrote that Gentle Thursday and Friday, it wasn't moved. It was essentially done away with because by taking it away from those last two days in April, I believe it was the um, 28th and 29th, uh, by taking them away, you've sort of taken away their purpose. By shoehorning them into the end of this week, and I understand that it was done so that faculty and staff here who have children in the area could have a break along. It's uh, Isabella County's spring break coming up, or it is this week. And uh, it, these two days were given off so that faculty and staff could have the time off with their students, which is like, you know, it's admirable. That's a nice thing to do, but, you know, it sort of defeats the purpose of Gentle Thursday and Friday to shoehorn them into two arbitrary days at the end of this month when, you know, yes, we can use them for studying, but in essence, how helpful is that going to be in the long run? It kind of bothered me that it was originally meant as a student, like a courtesy to students, and now it's for professors. Like, it's taking away, like, a student resource. It bothers me. Mm-hmm. We've kind of seen a trend of that a little bit this year, I feel, taking away yeah. <laughs> a lot of sort of student resources, um, either for money's sake or for, you know, faculty comfort. I don't know if I would use that word, but yeah. So it's unfortunate, but that's the reality of it. How do you think this rearranging of the academic calendar will affect students' study habits? Honestly, I don't think it will put much of a dent in it. I know I personally was just given a bunch of papers for final papers to, like, uh, instructions for final papers to start. So, I mean, will I use these next two days to work on them? Probably so, because I won't have classes. But, I mean, in the long run, I don't think it's going to make much of a dent. I know friends and other people in the residence hall I live in right now uh, were talking about they're just using it to go home. They're just going to go home and... I don't know, eat dinner with their parents or go do laundry. And I mean, it's not it to them. It's just another extended break. So would you prefer the small break before exams or in the middle of the semester like it's going to be now? Um, I definitely feel like it would suit us better at the end towards exams, because I believe after this, after this gentle Thursday and Friday, um, we don't actually have any breaks in between now and the end mm-hmm. of the semester. So it's kind of like that one big chunk, like from Thanksgiving to Christmas, where there's like no breaks and, you know, you are ending up going mad with how much schoolwork and how much pressure is being put on you. So I feel like at the end of the semester sort of suits students better because of the fact that, you know, it sort of gives them, again, a little mental reprieve where they can calm down and, you know, ready themselves mentally for the stress of finals. What are your opinions on Gentle Thursday and Friday as a whole, as just a break for students? Um, I mean, being a sophomore, I've only gotten to experience one Gentle Thursday and Friday, um, which is a little unfortunate. But, I mean, like I've been saying, I mean, it's a good thing for students. It's a shame that it's a, yet another student resource that has kind of been, like Sydney said, taken away from students and repurposed uh, for university sort of comfort or gain. Um And yeah, no, I mean, it's a shame to see it go, but I mean, especially for the incoming freshmen, I mean, I guess it won't make much of a difference to them. It's really just like my class and onwards who are going to sort of feel that 
disdain for having those two days taken away. But I mean, obviously, the incoming freshmen don't know anything different. So it's only be a matter of time before we end up just forgetting about this topic completely, really. (laughs) Okay, now we'll be moving on to the Ranzenberger investigation. So to start, could you please give us just a summary of the investigation? Yeah, I'll walk through, like, beginning to what's happening now. Um, Okay, so people at CM Life heard that there were police looking in Mark Ranzenberger, who is a journalism and broadcasting faculty member. Um, they They were looking at the computer in his office, and they actually confiscated it, which means they had a search warrant, and they took the computer. So we were curious to know why that is. So um, my reporter who covers cops and courts, his name's John Hogan. He's the best. <laughs> what a saint. <laughs> um, he he talks to the police weekly. Um, so he had a meeting coming up. I think that happened on like a Thursday. It was over spring break. Um, and he went and talked to the police and they were planning to release a statement that day about why or about the investigation um not naming Mark Ranzenberger because they weren't technically investigating him at that time they were investigating his computer so um <clears throat> what they said they found was material that fits the definition of child pornography and we we wrote that story. Um, we didn't release Mark Ranzenberger's name, even though we knew it was his computer, because um, he wasn't a suspect of the investigation, and that was all that was happening at that point. And then um, we found out that he was also being investigated by faculty personnel services um, and placed on leave during that investigation, which is when we um, put out his name because we made the connection of... This professor is under investigation by the university. Um, His computer in his office that is owned by the university is being investigated by the police. So that's when we put out his name. Um, It's been a challenge thus far to do these stories just because nobody will kind of comment on it. Um, Try to get in touch with faculty personnel services multiple times. John did. He's very diligent. Um, He has been getting no comment did a lot um but we were able to talk with sherry knight she works at university communications she told told us a little bit um she was the one who told us that he resigned on march 21st from his faculty position and he's been teaching here since 1999 um and we're in the journalism department like we know who he is um i've never had a class with him but like everybody kind of knows who the professors are in their department. So it's it is kind of strange, but he resigned from CMU. He also resigned from um the Mount Pleasant Planning Commission, which is a governing body within the city. Um they do like zoning projects and things like that. Like if you're trying to build a new like building or house, like you have to go through the planning commission and he's he was on that for he was in city government for a long time. Um, he resigned from there on the same day, but nobody that we have talked to has really heard from him or kind of knows exactly what happened. And even if somebody did, like, it'd be hard to verify it. So we're kind of, um, right now waiting on police to go further in their investigation to find out more. Um, could you elaborate more on how Ranzenberg hasn't been heard from and what it means? Does it mean just professionally he can't get in contact or personally either? 
Yeah. So he like we every step of this process, um, John has tried to get in touch with Mark Ranzenberger, whether it's it's through email. I mean, we can't we don't have a cell phone number because we don't have our professor's cell phone number. So we can't just call him up. He's not in his office. He's not on campus because he's um, he resigned and then he was on leave before that. So uh, he's John has emailed him every every time we update this story, which has been four or five times now um he tries to get in touch with mark ranzenberger just to see if he wants to comment that's something that is a courtesy to the people that you're writing about you always want to reach out to them for comment even if they don't respond to you like you have to do that so we looked at his resignation letters or just the one for the city and it was just like one sentence it was very simple it didn't go into detail on anything which is expected in this situation um but so we have that from him that's pretty much anyone has heard from him i talked to people in the city because i cover city government and uh they other than the resignation letter have not talked to him or like anything like that and they they didn't find out like he didn't tell them anything was going on like they read the paper and like found out what was going on so it's basically like they're pretty like all the details they know are like what we have reported basically um faculty personnel services doesn't comment on personnel investigations when they're going on um but the investigation is over now that Mark Ransomberger has resigned, so we're trying to get some more information on that. That's been a challenge. Um, I think right now we know all we can know at this point. We have um, submitted Freedom of Information Act requests for a few different things, so we're going to know more pretty soon, um, it looks like, as long as our requests come in okay. <laughs> um, that's always a challenge. So, yeah, we'll see. Can you give a little bit of a short history on Ranzenberger's career as a CMU professor? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know him that well because I've never had him again. He's been here since 1999, and he is in the journalism and broadcasting department, so he teaches classes for both. So he's known by a lot of students. Um, he also used to work at the Morning Sun, that newspaper, too, for a little bit. He was, like, their online editor. And then, yeah, that's about it. Is it known if he had any other dis? dis okay, I'm gonna try that question again. Disciplinary. <laughs> okay. Is it known if he had any disciplinary problems in the past? We don't know that yet, but we have FOIA freedom of, submitted a Freedom of Information Act request. That's how you obtain public documents. Um, for his personnel file, so we should know that pretty soon. Do you believe this investigation will affect the reputation of other professors? I do, because um, there was a time, like, it was before I worked at CM Life, it was, like, when I was a freshman, I think it was, like, four years ago, um, there was a lot of issues with faculty. There was actually someone in the EHS department that was um, had a, like, gigs of child pornography on his computer um that happened there was a like drunken disorderly of a faculty member there was someone who came to work intoxicated this is like university-wide and this kind of just that was a few years ago but I think when things like this come up 
it just kind of adds to the list and it's like what is like what's going on here it's um sort of gives the university like a black eye wouldn't you say sort of i mean not him in particularly but just it's like you know adding more to the list it's like yeah yeah like my parents my parents live in metro detroit and they heard about this like they don't they don't get cm life like at our house um and they heard about it on like tv news like in metro detroit so it was like a statewide thing and so when you hear like Central Michigan University on the news it's not like oh they did this good thing it's that one of their professors is being investigated so that's kind of like the um, outsider impression of CMU I think mm-hmm. how does this affect the journalism and BCA department I mean the biggest thing is that they're losing someone who worked here for a long time he had a lot of expertise and experience so like filling his role I think is going to be tough from what I've heard, he's a pretty good professor, and he knows a lot about media in general. Um, there's also professors that are taking over his classes, too, so I'm sure that adds extra extra work for them that they didn't really expect to be doing at this time. What is their responses and actions to it, the journalism BCA department? Um, the journalism department... It's hard for anybody to kind of respond to this because they they don't know more than we know. Like, it's they're pretty in the dark about like where the investigations at. Like we are because the police won't talk about the ongoing investigation. So they're just we talked to Jafe Yin. She's the department chair for the journalism department. Um, she didn't really know much about the investigation, which is expected, but she just highlighted that they're keeping students in mind like students are their number one priority um so that that's kind of the attitude of like the departments and who can't they don't really have control over the investigation and they don't know enough to I think form an opinion on it so and I don't think they would talk about it with students anyways I think that'd be kind of strange so just them keeping students in mind is what they've mentioned what is the next step in the investigation process um, the next step is for us, um, we are kind of waiting on the police to like for their the conclusion of their investigation. Um, they might we we check I check every day, my reporter checks every day to see if there's any like upcoming court case like court dates that have to do anything with Mark Ranzenberger or like an investigation of child pornography whatsoever because the police again have not confirmed that Mark Ranzenberger is a suspect in their investigation, which is kind of confusing for people because um it's his computer, it was in his office and all that, but um lots of people had access to that office um i'm not like opening the door for like oh who was it but um big old game of cmu clue (laughs) yeah so it's it's not like as a newspaper we can't automatically assume that you know he's the suspect although his name came out because he was the subject of another investigation and this all kind of fit together at once um so i think people can draw their they can and will draw their own conclusions on that, but, I mean, we'll have the facts coming up here when the police finish their investigation. We'll know a little bit more. The police, we have a pretty good relationship with them. Um, 
where it's not like they're telling us like all these secrets, but um, if we ask, they'll usually give us some kind of answer. Um, so when a court case comes, if someone's arrested and gets arraigned, we can go to all of those court cases or the court appearances. We can know the charges and know pretty in detail what exactly happened. We can get affidavits at the courthouse. It basically is like the police report of their investigation. So I think we're kind of waiting on that to come up. Where does the story head next? I think next would be the police part of it. Unless we get information that we might not know about. We've heard some people know different things, people who are in his classes and stuff like that. But it's hard with this kind of thing because this is such a sensitive topic. Like child pornography is a sensitive topic. You don't want to throw anyone under the bus if they didn't if they didn't commit a crime, if they didn't do anything. Um so we don't wanna like go out and say like <clears throat> like if a student says um they saw something on his computer. We would have to, like, go verify that, like, with other people who might have seen it, too, and things like that. And the problem with that is that's not a problem in general, but for us it makes things challenging because we have to verify everything that anyone says to us, basically. We can't just, like, like if you were like, yeah, I saw all this stuff and and I didn't do anything about it. Like, I didn't tell anyone. I just saw it, and I'm going to tell you now. Like, we would have to... We probably wouldn't be able to use that because we have to verify with somebody that that's actually what happened. So that's been a challenge, but we're working on that. How do you think his resignation will affect the Mount Pleasant Planning Commission? Um, I think it will affect them a lot because they seem to have a little bit of trouble appointing like having enough people who are interested in working on the city boards and commissions they have like a bunch of boards that you can work on um the city commission is the the main governing body of the city the planning commission is like right underneath them so it's an important one they're all important but that one is like once you go through the planning commission it just has to get approved by the city commission and then you get your like permit or whatever you want it so it's an important um like body of government and they have trouble filling their boards and commissions anyways so i i'm assuming that they'll they won't have people like jumping at the chance to be on the city or the planning commission which kind of sucks for them because i'm not sure if they can probably still vote on things because they have quorums, so they have enough people to vote and, like, pass something. Um, but they just have to go through. They have an appointments committee who um, they have all, like, their applications. If people have applied for positions within the city before, they'll call those people first and see if they're interested. And then it's just, like, a vote and you can be on the planning commission. Um, or they'll, like, go outside of what they have and solicit other applications. So I went to the meeting on Monday. That was when they formally accepted Mark Ranzenberger's resignation. And um, they there was one city commissioner who kept kind of plugging, like, hey, you can apply for planning commission. So they're definitely, like, already on it. Um, I talked to the city manager. She said that it could be filled as early as their next meeting, which is, like, April 11th, I think. So, um but that might not happen either, so it's all up in the air. 
I think it'll be a little difficult for them to fill that. How do you think his resignation will affect Central Michigan University? Like we said before, like Jordan said, it kind of puts a black eye on the university when, especially with something, like when you throw the word child pornography into something, everybody's like, well, what the hell? Like, it's a it's a thing that you don't want to believe happens, but it does happen, I guess. Um, it just kind of goes back to that thing, what you said about how it's like no news out really comes more than like outside of the community in terms of like good news. But mm-hmm. when it's bad news, it's like my parents are from Troy, which is like 20 minutes outside of Detroit. And yeah, I got a text like two or three days later. It's like, oh, did you have this professor? And it was like mm-hmm. a link to our own story. So it's really hard when you just get when only people see the bad, they don't see the good that also goes on in this community. But yeah, yeah it spreads faster. So definitely people want to talk about it more and um I hope that people aren't like I don't want I hope that they look to like CM Life like professional news outlets to like find the facts on this story because I'm sure there's a lot of stuff going around like people are like coming up to me and asking me what happened and I'm like I literally tell them to read the paper because that's all we know. Like, we publish information as we know it, like, on our social media. If we know something, we post it right away. So you know as we know. Um, And I I hope that they're, like, uh, going with the facts and not, like, spreading rumors because in the end we don't know how the situation is going to turn out. So anything could happen at this point. Okay, that's all for the topics we have today. Thank you two so much for joining me and talking about it. Thank you. Not a problem. Um, That is all for this week's edition of Headline Central. Tune in next week for more topics about CM Life articles and things about Central Michigan. Once again, I'm your host, Charles Skipworth, and have a good week.